I want you guys to close your eyes. Just take a second. Kev, I see you open them. Close them. There you go. Okay. If you're listening, if you're not doing something that requires you to uh, have your eyes open, then close them. So, cutting steak, operating <laughs> forklift, lawnmower. If you can safely close your eyes, please do so. Close your eyes and let them adjust. Take a deep breath. Relax the muscles around You might see what appear to be gentle flashes of shapes or waves or maybe dots of little neon lights fading, appearing, coming together, and then drifting away. If you close them a little tighter, maybe try to focus, some colors start to form. Translucent red, blue, green, purple, like, like ripples in a pond. Begin to envision these colors growing brighter, swirling together, until it fills your entire vision. Let it fill your imagination and see my words. Everything goes black. There's a small gray dot that materializes in front of you. That dot is larger though now it has these small little shapes moving around it. We're closer, and it appears to be a circular, flat space station scoured with marks. Two rings, one large and one small, rotate around the station. Little dots that are probably ships buzz towards the center, moving between the rings and three large intersecting domes that cap off the station disk. Zoom in on the domes and we see an opaque mix of swirling gas that presses against the otherwise transparent surface. Slowly, the outer ring rotates into view and we see a name. Legacy Station. We see the exterior of the docking bay is covered with ships. We're closer now. Some ships are gray, some gold, some green with biophilic surfaces, and others made of unrecognizable material. All of them are lined up, connected to the station via airlocks. We're now inside the station itself, inside one small secluded docking bay, and the sounds of hissing pipes and engine maintenance fill the air. The small waiting area feels dark as we only see three light sources. Purple sconces on the wall that illuminate a small waiting area for passengers. The cool blue lights of the gangway stairs and the white light of the entrance to the ship known as the Chimera. Above you, Viztor posters of the Vescarium and notable vests Skittermanders and other races adorn the walls, the legacy of an older style when the excitement of a station in near space was new. But Legacy Station Docking Bay 18 now feels cold and transient as cargo and darkness sit piled along the western wall. 
you guys can open your eyes if you if it helps you to keep imagining. Dusty benches sit unused near the loading platform. Yellow stripes border a dark blue path leading to the ship's entrance. And on either side of the path gather a small group of people. They're quiet, uneasy, all looking at the same place. A small blue-skinned Lashunta woman standing in the center and ten eye relaxed, dressed in deep blue and gold. Everyone around looks like they're anxious, ready to to leave to board, but her mouth opens to speak. Now, everyone, this will only take a few moments. I am Agent LaRue, that's L-A-R-U-E, and I'm a special agent of the Stewards. That's S-T-E-W-A-R-D-S. I just need to ask each of you a few questions, and then I guarantee you can all continue with your departure. She pauses, looks down at a data pad. I can, however, uh rule out some of you. Uh, you may board first. Uh, this group... She points to a hobgoblin surrounded by four smaller chittering space goblins. The hobgoblin's green skin is covered with tattoos. And their long pointed ears hold up a sturdy armor cap. The goblins around are eagerly standing, <laughs> whispering... As well as the Vesk you may board. She points to a stout, burly Vesk with a short tail and a handsome beard of horns that adorn his underbite. They all turn, slowly pick up their luggage, goblins still chittering, and begin to head towards the ramp slowly. The Lashunta woman turns to face the remaining group. I'll be asking questions of the rest of you again. My apologies. This shouldn't take too long. And we do appreciate your patience, myself and the stewards. She walks over to a Kasathan woman and asks her to step forward. The Kasathan woman is tall, dressed casually as if for travel, all forearms covered down to the wrist in a silk garment. They speak quietly in hushed tones for a short time. Agent LaRue seems to be uh, asking her some questions, and the Kasathan seems to be talking casually. No tension. LaRue eventually nods, and she says... Please wait for a moment, you hear. Then she turns and she walks over to a man. Kevin, what does this man look like? He's a... Hi, everybody, I'm Kevin. He's a gruff, young human. Um, he's got short, brownish hair. Um, but he's got like a five o'clock shadow going on. And uh, it's very obvious, but like... Right below his chin line, there are what seems like electronics or like metallic things running down his neck. Probably some kind of like implant. And he's played by a young Harrison Ford, circa like, I don't know, 1982. 
And he's like, wearing them. He's a weirdo. Blade Runner yeah. Harrison Ford? Say again? Like Blade Runner Harrison Ford? Like yeah, yeah. That's exactly Indiana what Jones, like. height of stardom Harrison Ford? Yeah, you know, like... Just fresh off being a carpenter? <laughs> he's wearing a, a trench coat with the, sh- the, the collar popped up a little bit. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Good afternoon. I just have a couple questions for you before you go on your way. Uh... One, what is your name? I go by the name of Rick. All right, Rick, pleasure. Uh, What is your purpose for traveling to Absalom Station? I am returning to Absalom Station after a mission. All right, thank you. Kind of note something down. And uh, could you please explain your whereabouts in the past 24 hours? Her words... 24 hours, 24 hours, 24 hours ring in your ears as you remember back to what occurred. Blackout. We move down a back alley and see the shape of a tall man in a long brown trench coat protruding from the alley wall. Moving closer, he lowers his hands slowly, and in the dim light, we see the glint of a pistol. His face conveys concern and covert intentions as he glimpses around the corner, and we pan over to see the back of a very large vesk in a disheveled spacesuit, grime and dirt smeared all over the fabric. The vesk climbs a ladder, and the man low and silent follows as the man gets to the top he takes one last look down as the city pulls away on the roof the vesk looking up stands alone among a forest of machinery painted in floodlights the biolights from the station screens far far overhead indicated the stars were about to make way to a cloudy morning sky the man's voice seems steady, despite the odd sense of anticipation he felt. Keep your hands where I can see them, Tamaz. I'm taking you in. Tamaz raises his hands over his head and turns slightly. Not very sporting to fire on an unarmed opponent. I thought you were supposed to be good. Aren't you the good man? Tamaz locks his eyes onto the man's. Or are you just a machine following orders? The Android Abolition Front has something to say about your recent activities. Think for yourself for once. Tamaz considers, lowers and spreads his arms wide, turning around, and takes a few steps towards the android, a smile growing on his face. Why do you think I'm up here? In a flash, Tamaz's tail lashes around and knocks the gun out Uh, of the android's hand. Come on, android. If you're not going to answer, then show me what you're made of. Tamaz crouches and charges to tackle the android. The android tumbles backwards and pushes the vesk off of him. As the android stands, Tamaz swings his muscular vest tail. The android clasps two sturdy hands together, catching the vest tail, 
twisting his hip. The android pivots and throws Tamaz away from him towards the roof's edge. Tamaz slowly stands up, unfazed. He looks at the android, who has his gun back in his hand. Just surrender. The android takes a step forward into a cone from the floodlight. As he does, out of the corner of his eyes, his retinas register the influx of photons as a flash, and turning his head towards it, his vision blurs. New sounds are processed by his auditory sensors. The android hesitates. His gun hand begins to shake. What begins as a small sound in the back of his throat widens and amplifies as the android screams into the white haze. A shadow darts across the white screen. The android reacts. The haze fades, revealing the image of Tamaz standing on the edge of the rooftop. It seems that this is my time to die. A spot of blood spreads over Tamaz's spacesuit. Tamaz loses his balance, toppling backwards over the edge. The android stands still in disbelief. He's breathing quickly, looking at his gun, still pointing at the air where Tamaz once was. He raises his wrist and sends out a message. The... The target has been terminated. At least you tried. Your next mission will come soon. Head to Absalom Station. A notification is pushed on his device. His trip back to Absalom boards in two hours. He looks up at the floodlight. It flickers, hums. He wonders what awaits him in Absalom. And, looking back at his device... The name of the ship scrolls onto the screen. Blackout. Well, Kev, that is, uh, you're a murder bot. (laughs) (laughs) So simple, as if one word could encapsulate your whole story. Yep. (laughs) I'm sorry, uh, could... You started to say something. Where were you in the past 24 hours? Was it related to this mission, you said? I was staying at a hotel, and my mission was to collect an article from a local gun dealer. Hmm. All right. I was unable to get a hold of the gun dealer. Okay, well, I don't need your whole life story, but thank you. Thank you. All right. She takes a few steps away. Is there anything that you would like to ask me? No? Yes. No? Okay. She kind of taps her pen on her data pad a couple times, looks up, thinking. She walks past all of you, up to a woman standing at a monitor station next to the Chimera's entrance. A transitional Rhyphorian, tan with tipped ears, brown eyes and short brown hair. She's wearing imposing armor, white and yellow. The jacket and collar is a functioning part of the armor. Algiada Iom, you hear her say. Chief Security Officer of the Chimera. Will, don't Google that. <laughs> wow. Thanks, bud. I Googled Rhyphorian. Sorry. 
No, Rhyphoria is fine. <laughs> Just be careful what you do. Oh, my God. They're <laughs> like little kids still. As Agent LaRue starts to walk back, they've talked for a minute, we see the Hobgoblin, one who was dismissed from Agent LaRue, walking up. Algiada's face stiffens a little bit. See her mouth barely moving. It's at this point that the Kasathan turns to you, Rick. Excuse me. Have you seen anything like this before? This delay here. Unreasonable. It seems like there is some kind of investigation going on. I have seen this. Oh. Well, maybe it is par for your profession. I I have not. I'm very, very confused. It's quite irritating. Uh, I'm Magua, by the way. She reaches out one of her lower hands to you. Shake your hand. He reaches back and firmly shakes her hand, and he says, I am Rick, 19. Pleasure to meet you, Rick, 19. It's at that point that Agent LaRue strolls right by, looking very purposeful out of nowhere. She walks over to a Sheeran. Kelly, what does the Sheeran look like? So he is a cerulean blue Sheeran. He has that kind of exoskeleton. He has red eyes. He wears a brown trench coat and has gun holsters hidden beneath strapped to his legs. He also has a bandolier for various devices across his chest. It holds useful items. And uh, he tops all this off with a large black space cavalier, which is kind of like a musketeer's hat. Um, He, if you've seen the Clone Wars, looks sort of like the bug version of Cat Bane and has a similar sort of gaze. Nice. Yeah. Simple. I gotta awesome. Google that, sorry. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Please do. That's so cool. Awesome. So cool. Cad Bane, yeah, Cad Bane is awesome. Oh, I know who that is. Okay, yeah. Yes. yes. But he's got four arms, you said? Oh, gosh. He has four arms. So long, Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On my bandolier, I have a chance. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, <laughs> right here. I just so happen to have a chance, Cube here. I'm sorry, Disney. <laughs> I don't think Disney owned Star Wars at that time, but now they do, I guess. Yeah. Correct. So if you had to cast somebody <laughs> as your share, besides who would you mean? <laughs> like an actual human, I guess like the closest, like maybe if he was a human, he would maybe look like a nowadays Matthew McConaughey. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. Bit, is he voiced by Matthew McConaughey? Because cool. like, I think that's the thing. He that would yeah. be so <laughs> difficult to sustain over the long run. <laughs> all right, all hey, right. Hey, hey, what's up? I'm, I'm Matthew. <laughs> I didn't always travel Lincoln, but... Something about driving a Lincoln. Time is a know. flat circle. That's why they, they call me that kind of lawyer. <laughs> Time is a flat circle? I, yeah, I don't remember that, that reference. True Detective... Yeah. True Detective is best um, of Matthew McConaughey. To be honest, I haven't seen enough of Matthew McConaughey to know, but he looks like he could be a bug in another <laughs> <way>. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that. Uh, 
so good. Oh my gosh. Good afternoon. Just a couple questions for you before you go on your way. Uh, what is your name? Name is Hears. Uh, sorry, Hears? Hears. Hears. Pleasure. What is your purpose for traveling to Absalom Station? Ah, uh, meeting up with an old an old friend. Well, old friends are best, they say, yes. And uh, could you please explain your whereabouts in the past 24 hours? That same hours, 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 as you think back. Navigating his way around the bustling activity, his honeycomb-like eyes scan the legacy station docking bays for the familiar face of perhaps his only remaining friend among the free captains. After some time, he sees four arms energetically waving at him from behind a ship in a busy area, his sheeran mandibles jittering glee as he strides over to his old compatriot, a Kasathan named Rolu. Hidden from the prying eyes of others on the platform, Rolu greets his four-armed friend. Long time no see, here's Rolu, old pal. It's been so long. You are a true friend to come out and do this for me. I was worried. Here's pauses as if what he is going to say, if said, might become real. Collects himself. Worried that you wouldn't come. Worried that you would be like all the others. His words trail off with a tinge of sadness. Rolu smiles and embraces Hears, throwing his left two arms, made strong with years of a hard life around his frame. I would never leave you alone out there, all alone, pal. The two proceed to exchange pleasantries, briefly catching up on the past several months they've been apart. After a jovial reunion, Rolu gets right to it. You upset the high captains, Hears. Many want you dead. The ones that don't aren't keen to stick their necks out to help you. Hears nods, expecting such news. I can't say I blame him. But I did what I had to do, Rolu. I couldn't just let that happen. Not after where I've come from. I know, brother. And I wish we could make the others understand. I do, however, have something that may help you. The Kasathan reaches into a puffy coat and pulls out a puck-like disc, large enough to fit a, s- a small parcel, but just small enough to fit in his hand. Hears turns his attention to the disc, his mandibles curiously rubbing together, before looking up at his friend questioningly. This is your only ticket back, Hears, Rolu warns. Hears reaches out gingerly with an insectoid hand. Rolu places the disc there with one hand, another folding Hears' two fingers over it. Hears grins gratefully and can't help but whisper in a voice of hushed awe. The Kasathan returns the grin with a genial smile. Hears Reddy's questions about the disc, questions like, What is it? How will this help me? 
However, just as he begins to utter the first word, what? he instinctively stops himself. His senses are on fire. Something's not right. An expression? No, a micro-expression. In that split second, he studies his friend's face. The Kasathan smile fades slowly, his mouth briefly opening in a position of confusion before rapidly transforming into a grimace of cold dread. The silenced but unmistakable sound of a fired plasma bolt is heard. Hears Cox's head to look past the face of his friend. A rise of faint smoke wafts up from behind Rolu, whose body starts to collapse with a pain groan from his throat as he falls onto Hears' comparatively slender form. Hears catches him and instinctively begins to drop down on one knee, gently cradling the now weakening body of his friend, its strength fading and the body relaxing in his arms. Rolu's eyes grow expressionless, and his breath stops. Focusing now on the source of the blast, Hears' head shoots up to see a human male blaster held up, the last bit of smoky discharge drifting off of its barrel. Hello, Hears. Don't do anything stupid. You're worth a lot to the high captains. I'd like to bring you back in, alive and warm, as warm as your traitor Sheeran blood can be. Hears meets the threat with an expression of defiance and anger. You really shouldn't have done that. The anger bubbles up and hears his voice. You're lucky I don't have it with me. Get up and walk over slowly. Here's his mind begins to race, playing over as many permutations of means of escape as he can. The man's voice rises. Let's go, Here's. I'm not asking again. The man's voice shouts louder than before. The Sheeran strikes on an idea. It will work. Yes, all he needs is a final act of help from his friend and a gentle request to his adversary. One of his hands being out of sight behind Rolu's body, he slowly reaches into his bandolier and continues to meet the threatening gaze of his assailant and triggers the timer. I'll come with you. But first... He pauses, the next words falling from his mouth audibly but gingerly. I really wish you would drop that gun. Hears looks down at the ground and takes off his cavalier, seemingly in a sign of respect for his dead friend and an admission of his defeat. He rests the hat on his chest as he mentally counts down. Eighteen. Seventeen. The human bursts into loud laughter at Hears' words and display. His guffaws echo off the side of the ship next to him for a few moments before fading into a gleeful, intermittent chuckles. He walks forward. I had heard you had a flair for the dramatic, he says joyfully as he jaunts. Come, come now. We don't... The man stops moving at once and violently bends backwards as if being restrained by an invisible other. He audibly chokes, trying to mouth words that won't come. His eyes bug out as he raises two trembling hands in front of them. With all his might, he tries to focus on his hands. And at last, when he does, his eyes widen further as his shock deepens. 
He stares in horror as all ten of his fingers twist obscenely in a series of small, quick, popping motions backwards to the back of his hands towards his wrist. He screams in agony as the snapping becomes more grotesque and his palms and digits both become smaller and more twisted. His blaster drops, unable to stay tucked in his changing palm. Smooth olive skin transitions into cobalt blue and broken fingers now twine together in a vine-like motion until nothing but a singular, long, exoskeletal extremity remains at the end of each of his arms. Eight, seven, six. Pools of tears brought on by pain welled up in his eyes, now fall down his cheeks as he writes his head and turns to look at Hears incredulously. In a pained breath, he wheezes as loud as possible. What did you do to me? Hears smiles a wan grin. I think it suits you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two. Hears lifts the cavalier to his face and shuts his eyes. One. The flashbang's charge shoots up vertically about a meter into the air before exploding into pure blinding light. The human pirate yelps and raises his arms too late. Everything becomes a blanket of white. His ears ring. In an instant, Hears returns the cavalier to his head and bolts. Knowing that the flashbang definitely made enough noise to draw the attention of the platform, he knows that there's nothing to do but run. Among the noise and activity, Hears' insectoid legs carry him across the platform and further into the station, running down corridors, looking for somewhere, anywhere quiet to hide. Ignoring the onlookers, he weaves through corridor after corridor, looking for those least populated. Crowded halls get sparser and sparser until, at last, he can tuck away out of sight. He takes a moment to relax and gather his wits. Then he reaches into his duster and pulls out the disc Rolu died to give him. He pauses, reflecting sadly for a moment, then opens it. There's a note inside. Hears reads aloud. Hears, this contains information on something highly coveted by the High Captains. It will be dangerous to obtain, but if you are successful, you can name your price. Then you can finally come back. I'll be waiting for your return. Godspeed, friend. Hears gingerly removes the note, revealing the package underneath. As he peels it away, a bright blue glow reflects off of his eyes. Wow. That dope. was a really cool story. That was freaking dope. But then it's, it's hard to take you guys serious, though, because every time I look at Kelly talking, which you sound phenomenal, and then I see Chewie shaking his head in the background. It's worth mentioning that this podcast was supposed to be recorded in person, but due to yes. extenuating circumstances, uh, we are currently recording remotely, so we're all on Zoom, and they're a great Star Wars Zoom. No, I, I, when we gather in person, I'm going to hire someone to wear a Chewy suit and sit next to me. <laughs> 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 
Can we pitch? Can we all pitch in and make that a reality? We just have to find somebody uh, on the walk. But they have to be really quiet because we'll be recording. So they have to be moving but very quiet, like shh, dancing around. That's true. Oh my god! And every time we point at him, he has to actually let out. We know. We know. We know. Sorry, Disney. <laughs> sorry, Please don't sue us. I'm not sorry. This is the third copyright infringement of your first podcast episode. It's not even. We're not even using. We're, not, we're Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> were you with your friend in the past twenty-four hours? Oh, oh yes. Oh, all right. Anything in particular that you two are up to? I, I, I hate to be specific, but it, it, it is necessary. Well. Uh, we just caught up on old times, and I gave him some, some nice coffee that I found, and we kind of drank it, and that was all. Get me out of here. Oh, I, I understand your frustration. Again, doing my best here. Just just a few more people that we need to talk to, and then I guarantee you can be on your way. Please, please just be patient and wait. Uh, yeah, make, make new yeah, friends thanks, here bye. with these people. Uh, oh, all right, all right. She walks back, little miffed. Write some things down. Probably like he's an asshole. <laughs> That's literally all they write down. Like, yeah. How? What? What grade asshole are <laughs> three? And then she turns, looks at the remaining people. She walks over to a slug person. That's offensive. How dare you? Some people call them Osharus, but will. What does this Osharu look like? He's a, you know, well-dressed, sort of professional slug. Uh, <laughs> with, you know, his skin is like an oily, ultramarine and azure with, like, hints of coral and magenta, sort of bioluminescence. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, that sounds like you just and, read the uh, colors off a of crayon. He's got, box. like, a lot of, like, you know... <laughs> tentacle like phalanges and things popping off of his face and he's very astute he stands up straight but also he's very stoic and reserved played probably by like an Alan Rickman oh the late Alan Rickman the I would love that. wow wow great so choice. choice wow great choice a professional slug yeah professional slug professional slug <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking like 80s Alan Rickman or like Harry Potter Alan? Uh, like Die Hard Alan Rickman yeah, yeah, or Harry like, Potter? Yeah, no, I'm trying to think like, I would say more Harry Potter, but not so Harry okay. Potter. More Harry Potter, but not so Harry Potter. I like it. Just a hint of Harry Potter. Just a, just a dash. <laughs> Like almost like Galaxy Quest. Oh, oh so my God! Good. Oh, please do <laughs> that. That is a throwback. What yes. a classic movie. I love that movie. <laughs> One of his better roles for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Uh, was so I'm definitely perfect. gonna watch that movie this weekend now. Have you never Let's seen it? it? Oh, I love yeah. it. Oh, it's so oh, good. Kev, okay, Kev. So good. How about we just do a group viewing party? I would on that love that. Like been, that. Yeah, let's that just stop recording it. the podcast. We'll just watch it all right now. We'll just do it. <laughs> just what are we playing yeah. Starfinder for? <laughs> Hello. Um, what is your name? Um, my name is Dr. Kontu Okatas. Dr. Okatas. 
Yes! I love these voices! I'm sorry. What do you, whatever do you mean? I'm sorry, I didn't say anything else. No. You. My mistake. He sounds like the caterpillar from, like, uh. <laughs> what is your purpose for traveling to Absalom Station? Um, going to catch up with some colleagues within the university system there. Uh, I'm a doctor, research doctor. It is interesting to see Osharu's uh, by themselves. They typically travel together. I, I, I hope, hope everything is uh, all right. It's curious. Yes, I, I see that as well. Uh, Yes. It's it is curious, however, it is time necessary. I see uh, that you've recently made yourself familiar with the local authorities. Uh, uh, they can be mean? a bothersome lot. Uh, no matter. No, no matter. I see. But I do have to ask, as I've asked everyone here, uh, could you please explain your whereabouts in the past 24 hours? 24 hours. 24 hours. We're inside a dark, musty, dimly lit room. Cold steel walls. Two metal chairs surrounding a simple metal table. The small light overhead barely reaches the corners of the Legacy Station precinct interrogation room. One human man sits across from an Osharu. Let me see here, Kuntu uh, Otomanus, uh, <laughs> tell me what brings you to Legacy Station exactly, because I'm having a hard time understanding why someone like you would come here alone and cause trouble on my station. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I do not, didn't mean to cause any trouble. I believe there's been a misunderstanding, as I told your deputies. I'm searching for my colleague, who I believe was here recently, Speak because... Speak up! And answer the question, Kantu, I don't have all day. It's pronounced Kantu, Kantu Okatas. And it's a doctor, if you don't mind, but you may call me doctor, okay, if you prefer. I'm here because my colleague and some of our medical trade goods came to your station and both have seemed to gone missing. Oh, excuse me. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I see Dr. K.O. Kung Fu. Uh, my mistake. <laughs> Tell me, what sort of trade goods are we talking about? Trading with who, exactly? What are you trying to achieve by coming here to... My station. Myself and my my colleagues, we trade with Legacy through very just uh, pharmaceutical dealers. Drug dealers, (laughs) I mean, obviously. As I've stated repeatedly to you and your deputies, I can't speak to any illicit activities per se, but the attention to quality when it comes to medicine and chemical components that can be formulated. Formulated uh, to make narcotics. Like the drugs that I see every day in the corridors of this station and on 24-hour Starhammer or Crush Casbah, I see Dr. Cone 2. Okay. Crush Casbah. <laughs> Sergeant Leroy, 
pours out salt from his salt seeker without caution onto the table before Dr. O.K.'s eyes and then slams the bottle menacingly on the table. I get it. You come here to make some quick bucks, turning good station folks into addicts? Are you going to talk about the drugs you've brought here to poison this station? Or am I going to have to get a saltier with my line of questioning? <laughs> Sergeant Leroy stares menacingly, attempting to lock eyes with Dr. OK as he licks the end of the salt shaker, his saliva dripping from his tongue as he gazes at Dr. OK to try and break his resolve. Dr. O'Kay's glassy black eyes stare into the vapid, sinister eyes of Sergeant Leroy before him as he begins to remember. Dr. Kantu Okatis stands beside several crates of pharmacy-grade chemicals with two research assistants on a marshy clearing in the outer reaches outside the crystal shield of Javon. With them, pacing in front of the crates, walks Dr. O'Kay's advisor, mentor, and research partner, Dr. Ayon Bujdakis, who paces nervously, muttering to himself, they'll, uh, they'll be here. Oh, I'm sure of it. I'll be here. Whatever do you mean, Doctor? We've traded with these men before, haven't we? Uh, Yes, yes, we've, we've traded before, but this time, uh, this time, listen, whatever happens here, you must continue our research. It's not merely for you and I, but all of us. And I don't need to tell you how important it is. Listen, they have research we need. And there may, well... They may need me to help them unload on their vessel alone. Wait, what? You can't leave by yourself. Listen, it's 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 too important to argue. Not just for us, you see, but but for all of us. Yes, I know, Doctor. We wouldn't be meeting here with outsiders if it wasn't critical. But you can't just leave alone. Wait. Zadem. A small shuttlecraft peeks over the jungle horizon. Its thrusters disrupt plant and wildlife, shaking the ground as the craft makes a seemingly abrupt and hasty landing onto the clearing. Almost as immediately as the craft lands, a figure appears through the clouds of exhaust, discharging from the thickly shrouded loading bay. He speaks loudly over the hum of the partially shut-down engines. Dr. Bushakis, come with us! Bring your cargo, hurry! I must go, Katu. Dr. Bushakis signals to the research students now cowering behind the crates. Load those goods immediately or I'll reject your dissertations! Dr. Bushakis winks sheepishly at Dr. Okatis and goes to turn towards the craft. Wait! Doctor, okay, will will be okay. I must see this through. Let me go with you, though. No, I can't. That's not the deal. Hurry! Listen, Gontu, I'll be back with something. It's it's going to change everything. Wait, no. 
You mustn't go without... Listen! Kantu, remember. Dr. Bujdakis grabs Kantu's hands firmly, stares into his eyes, and says, We are stronger than our skin. We must be strong for our kin. Dr. Bujdakis faintly smiles and turns away towards the shuttlecraft, disappearing into the hazy cloud of engine exhaust. We are stronger than our skin. What's that? We must be strong for our kid. All right. All right, Slamball. Time to get salty. (laughs) The sergeant grabs Dr. Okatis' arm, salt in hand. Suddenly, Kantu grabs the sergeant's face with his tentacles. Jarring the sarge, Dr. Okatis calmly grabs a syringe hidden beneath a flap of skin near his shoulders, his oily, semi-luminous skin glowing with intensity and vibrating vigorously. He forces the sergeant's face closer to him, positioning his gaze upwards to the ceiling. Dr. Okay moves in closer to whisper into the sergeant's ear. No, I'm okay. Without a sound or hesitation, a greasy tentacle injects the sergeant directly into the pupil of his eyeball with absolute precision and retracts away, leaving the sergeant locked in a gaze with the ceiling above. That's better, sergeant, wouldn't you agree? Dr. Okatis' neurotoxin quickly takes hold of the sergeant as his posture becomes more relaxed and appears to become befuddled and docile. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm starting to feel more okay, Dr. Okay. Hmm, splendid. Let's, let's talk about my colleague. Where did he go? What, what was he here for, to your recollection? We don't know. What brought him here? Only that, uh, he and his friends left in a hurry. Because he left only what we can assume to be some personal effects in this bag that was left behind. Puts a bag on the table. Oh, I I see, Sergeant. That's quite fascinating. May I take a look? Yes, yes, of course, Dr. Okay. We we were unable to decipher or recover any information from the data pad in his bag, but with your help, Dr. Okay, we, uh, we will be able to unravel his drug network and apprehend the fugitive known as Dr. Boo-Hoo Daykings and his accomplices. Uh, anything I can do to help, of course. Where did you lose him? He was being chased by one of our undercovers into the pack world's terminals during a sting operation. Our man, he... He lost sight of Dr. Bujdaking shortly after the security cameras were mysteriously blacked out on our security feed. Dr. O.K. stands from the table with the bag as the bewildered sergeant begins staring deeply at the ceiling above. Oh, we are going to find him, you see. You'll all see. Do you, do you see? Do you see the colors on the ceiling? And these lights? Yes, they're fascinating, Sergeant, truly. Say, am I free to leave? Yes, yes, of course, you're free to go. And you know, I didn't notice before, but the ceiling reminds me of your eyes. It's really shiny, really, really shiny. It's incredible. Dr. Okay opens the door slightly to the low roar of Legacy Police Station's bullpen. I'm sorry. I could barely hear you, Sergeant. Could you speak up? It's 
hard to hear over the sound of the ceiling. Do you hear it too? Yes. Oh my. Yes, you are free. Free to go, Dr. Okinawas. Thank you for all your help. Thank you for coming in. Yes, take care. Thank you, Sergeant. Don't mention it. And be sure to drink plenty of water once the ceiling is done talking about how shiny it is. <laughs> Dr. Ocantis leaves the interrogation room, casually closes the door, begins walking out of the police station, nodding to his arresting deputies, and heads out to the main concourse on Legacy Station. Inside the terminus of Legacy Station, a trepidatious Dr. O'Kay enters the terminal for vessels traveling to the packed worlds. Dr. O'Kay cautiously makes his way through the crowd, avoiding detection by the security personnel stationed throughout the terminal. The crowd, moving at a hurried pace, avoids Dr. O'Kay, who stands stoically as he looks back up at the terminal placard that reads... Now boarding Absalom Station, and he gazes back into the back of Dr. Bouzdakis' belongings and speaks quietly to himself as he begins to move forward towards the gate. I am stronger than my skin. I will be strong for my kin. Blackout. What the hell? Why am I not surprised, (laughs) Will, that you are the first person to drug somebody in both our D&D game and our stuff? Dude. Whatever are you talking about? The banter between those two characters was amazing. The sergeant and the and the it doctor. It really was. The, the and again, that your, was great. That was well. your voice is phenomenal. Yeah, this is, it's so good. Oh, Dude, thanks, yeah, the guys. voice it's was phenomenal. Excellent. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, mm, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I love the I am stronger than my skin. I will be stronger than my for my yeah. skin. That's yes, like, legs have weak skin, man. Cool thing. I yeah, think it's really cool. That was really cool. I think it's creepy, actually, but whatever. <laughs> I thought it was touching all those things. That's so funny. Could you please explain your whereabouts in the past 24 hours? Uh, yes, I was in the station meeting, uh, gathering some belongings and personal effects for my trip to mm-hmm. Epsilon. All right. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Yes, yes, yes. No problem. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't mean to pry. She takes a few steps back, pauses, looks up at the Kasathan, looks up at Rick, looks up at Hears, looks up at Dr. OK, thinks, and turns to finally look at a man. Nick, what does this young man look like? Uh... He's a younger man. He's kind of, I would say, in his mid-20s, like 26, 27. Um, beginnings of a 5 o'clock shadow. But he's wearing a white button-down shirt with the sleeves rolled up halfway up his forearms. Um, and um, his gray pant. Uh, he's wearing gray slacks as well with a belt and black shoes. But everything's kind of looks like um, he's been rolling around on, on concrete and cement. Like, and there's splotches of green blood on his shirt. So the person who I would play to act, uh, the person who I cast to act uh, to act him would be uh, the guy who played uh, Solo in the Solo movie, 
Han Solo in the Solo movie. I think his name is Alden um, yes. Aaron Rich. Nice. So what you're saying is that we have two versions of Harrison Ford uh, <laughs> who are in this game. That's awesome. Completely totally unplanned. unplanned. <laughs> Not planned at all. Hello, excuse me. Uh, what is your name? Why do you need to know? I'm, I'm sorry. I don't no, mean to no, be rude. No, it's, it's quite all right. We, it's not a problem. Uh, we are... I am here as part of some steward's business, and uh, we have some information, and we are simply uh, making sure that everything checks out. That, that, that is it. So it's, again, I, I've, I've asked some of your fellow passengers here. They, it really is just a few questions about your name. There's nothing personal about it whatsoever. I, I'm sorry. It, it, it's just been a day. I, I understand. <laughs> Look, it's almost over. I, I guarantee you can get on board soon. It's, it's quite easy. I, I also would like to move on with my day, right? right. <laughs> so I, I do have to ask you again, so we can move over this together. What is your name? Nico. Nico Orion. All right. Well, again, I said, my name is LaRue, L-A-R-U-E, in case you forgot. Uh, so, what's your purpose for traveling to Absalom Station? Travel. Traveling to travel. Yes. Business or leisure. Do you care to explain any more? Just travel. Indeed. Just travel. I, uh, just thought I might catch a little bit of, uh, a little bit of the starlight. She writes a little longer than maybe you would have thought. <laughs> and uh, could you please explain your whereabouts in, uh, in the past 24 hours? 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 It's a black screen. A throng of voices starts soft and quickly escalates in volume. As suddenly, we see lobby doors swing open and two individuals, one human and one Vesk, storm out. Their fast pace is slowed by the press and reporters waiting outside the tall building, shouting questions, flashing their hollow cams. The Vesk naturally steps ahead, clearly at a leading bodyguard's distance, trying to part the crowd to their sky limo. What is your reaction to being voted out by your own board of directors? Is it true that your own mother led the charge to oust you from the company? Did the board oust you because of your suspected illegal drug abuse? How could she do this? You need to leave. It's not safe here. Illegal drugs? I never even touched the stuff. I, I don't think this is about you. Move! I think this is about some of the work your father did. Did you grab anything from your office before you left? No, no. Is this more about the work that you still can't even tell me about? Get back, everyone! We need to get out of here. A few hundred steps lay between the pair and the skyland, each step growing louder as the reporters disperse, and they finally reach the private open-air platform. Zintuko looks around for the driver who is nowhere to be found. Deneb! 
Nico follows up closely behind Zentuko. Are you ever going to tell me about what you and my father did? I think I have a right to know. I will, but but not here. It's, it's not safe. Where's Deneb? He's always waiting right by the sky limo. Why isn't, he, why isn't it safe now? Nico sees Zentuko take out his azimuth laser pistol slowly. After a moment of observation, Nico notices Zentuko's eyes are drawn to the distance. He sees a small flash and has just enough time to register the meaning before a large Vesk arm swings around him, pulling him to the ground. Nico closes his eyes and for a brief moment feels nothing as he hears the shot fly by him. Nico opens his eyes, his friend currently laying heavy upon him. Sirens began in the distance. All right, Zen, you were right. Let's get out of here. When Zentuko doesn't respond, Nico starts to worry. He throws Zentuko off to the side of him, face up, grabs Zentuko's shoulders, and shakes him. Zen! Nico begins to check his friend's body, confused why his friend wasn't responding. His hands find a hole in his chest, about the size of a large projectile. Nico pulls his hand away and feels the green blood drip between his fingers. His friend's clothes were now drenched with the last of his own blood. Zen didn't have long, and Nico needed to get him to a trauma center. Applying pressure to the wound, he called out, Help! I need a medic! Silence is the only response. Until, as if awoken by Nico's call for help, Zentuko rouses. Breathing erratically, he grasps Nico tightly. <gasps> Not Nua. <coughs> the picture. The picture of you and your father. Find it. Shock, concern, and resignation ward for control of Nico's thoughts. He wipes away his tears of worry and feels something hit his hand as Zentuko then shoves the bloodied azimuth laser pistol into it. Unable to control himself, Nico's tears resume their former course. Zen! Don't, Nico. Leave me. Make this count. No, Nico, holding his friend's pistol, stares shocked at his friend. Nico's own inner turmoil has settled on emotion for the time being. Zentuko's hands find Nico's shoulders with failing strength. With a wry smile, he says, I guess they were right in the end. My heart never came. Oh. These were the last words Zentuko managed to gasp as his eyes became host to death's vacant stare. Zen! 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 Nico cried and banged his hands against the platform. After a few moments of despair, rage took over. He had to get out of here. He had to make Zen's sacrifice count. Nico had to make them pay. He sprung up into a crouch. After surveying where the shot came from, by now the sniper was either changing position or gone. Now was the best chance to flee. He slid over the hood of the sky limo and jumped into the driver's seat. After a cold fire start, he piloted the sky limo toward the Legacy Station docking bays. He needed to get off station 
He needed to find Zen's family and to find his own. Blackout. Wow. Dude. Nice roguish character. Your guys' voice acting is so good, both of you. Awesome. Yeah, you know, appreciate that, man. Hey, you should think about recording the podcast. You should record the podcast. Hey, I'm just going to say, I know that, that, that you know we came up with a story and all this stuff, and you killed it. It was a great story. But I just got to ask, yep. why didn't Nico just, like, go to the bathroom and just, like, wipe off some of the blood? Just, like, you know, just, like, dab <laughs> some water and some paper towels on it, you know? I mean, yeah. like, here's can relate to the loss of your friend, man. Like, I feel you. I feel you, bro. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. I feel uh, you. I feel you. This is gonna be uh, this is gonna be an interesting uh, campaign here. We got a adventure path. A shady pharmaceutical sales <laughs> rep, a pirate, a murder Whoa. bot, Whoa. and a uh, <laughs> and uh, a weapon. I find spender. the term murder bot inappropriate <laughs> and kind of rude. <laughs> I am a pharmaceutical researcher, sir. Technically, I'm a former pirate, so. (laughs) (laughs) See, it seems you all are making fast friends here. Have a good trip, I'm sure. So, as I said, could you please explain your whereabouts in the past 24 hours? Um, well, I got, uh,. I got voted out of my own company. That mm. I've uh, voted out of my own company. Had my my closest friend and a father figure to me uh, gunned down before my eyes, and I made a desperate getaway in a uh, Skylamo. So how's about how about that for uh, how about we just call that a day on my whereabouts? Well, I can say that I can't relate to any of that, but uh, <laughs> I do understand tough days. What's a Skylamo look like? Well, it looks like one of those air speeders in Attack of the Clones that we were talking about before we started uh, recording the podcast, but just like longer. Like a limo. <laughs> is it is it open gotcha. air? It is open air actually. Nice. With the like with the capacity of being closed to the air. It's like convertible. So like but did you get away in the open air? Right? It's, yeah, it's a convertible it's a convertible sky limo. I, I like that. Well, I understand. She kind of writes down few things in her data pad again. Have a good trip. I hope uh, the rest of your days are happier than today. I hope this will be the worst of them all. Perfect. <laughs> that seems super likely. <laughs> yes. For an adventure path, that seems super likely. She takes a step back, counting in her head, looking again, and turns to look at one last individual. She walks over to an older man. He's dressed in fashionable station wear. The last passenger in this group. His gray beard and hair, they're matched, cut perfectly. They're matched by metallic gray cybernetic augmentations around his neck. I would like all of you to give me a perception check. Oh, this is it. This is the first roll. Kevin, I don't see you moving. Did I you forget I am, your I'm, dice. Did you forget your dice? Perception. I was going to do digital. Is that okay? 
<laughs> How dare you not let us hear the physical roll? How All right, I we're going to go around and say you. what we did. I'm going to start with the top left in my Zoom screen here. That's you, Kelly. What'd you get? Uh, What'd you get? I am going to be doing that. Okay, right. we're going to move on. Will, what did you get? <laughs> I'm logging it. I, I rolled a, a 16 plus my perception modifier, so 19. 19, okay. Nick slash Nico, what'd you get? I got a 13. A 13. Respectable. What about you, old Ricky? So Rick's uh, got a plus four for perception, so I rolled a five. Five. <laughs> so let me just back calculate this from here real quick. So you got one. You yeah, got I rolled critical one. fail. All right, cool. <laughs> Digital you're, one. You're you. still checking your device to make sure you're in the right docking bay. You're like, I don't. I just want to check. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kelly, what did you get? All right, I got. Oh wow, I got a one. Oh. <laughs> you no, guys uh, no are not strong. Hey, just is this docking bay eighteen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where where am I? Uh, oh my gosh. The Kasathan and, and the Android are just like staring at each other going like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> so as Agent Special Agent LaRue is talking to this older man, you all I would say Nico and uh Dr. Okatis you hear off to the right, up towards the entrance of the ship. You kind of turn and look as you're waiting. You see Algiata Iyon, the chief security officer of the Chimera, speaking with the Vesk that was dismissed in the beginning. It's very genial. She's got a smile on her face. It's just a couple of words. Maybe you just hear like, yeah. That's it. And then the Vesk walks in. The Kasathan next to Rick turns over and actually turns towards Dr. Okatis and Nico and hears. Have you all seen anything like this? I asked uh, uh, Rick, I believe, Rick 19. I, I asked Rick if, if you all had. I, this is quite... Uh, I'm a little impatient. This is, uh, this is quite annoying. Have any of you seen anything like this before? What exactly am I looking at? No, just 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 the situation. Just being held up as you're about to board your ship. It seems distracting, annoying. I did not pay to have to uh, to have to to wait here, be impositioned. I totally agree. I just have to ask: Have you been uh, in this situation before? Where you've had to wait and be inconvenienced by someone like this. As an Asharu, we often are patient with the world. Well, that is a good trait to have. Not all Kasathans are like that. If only they could be that way. Well, it is a pleasure to meet you then. I, I apologize. I just wanted to make friends. That's it. Would you like something to relax? <laughs> I'm sure it's all right. All right. I, I, I'm sure on the ship it'll be all right. No problem. I thought I'd offer 
Thank you all for your patience. Uh, you five. Agent LaRue walks back to the center. She points at the four of you. Rick hears Dr. OK, Nico, and the older man. You are welcome to board. She turns to the Kasathan woman. I've spoken with the security chief up here, uh, Eom. That's I owe him, and I'd like to ask you a few questions. Uh, perhaps we could take a walk. Uh, the stewards are willing to recompense you, rebook your trip back to Absalom Station for a later date. As Agent LaRue and the Kasathan are starting to talk, at that moment to your right, the doors to the Chimera slide open. And we hear, would someone here care to tell me what's holding up my passengers? Followed by a grunt. Turning back, you see, as if in slow motion, the Kasathan woman's arms extended, pushing forward, Inspector LaRue flying through the air before falling backwards to the ground with a thud. The other two Kasathan arms are pulling out a knife in their hand. And that's game. Whoa. Oh. What? That's cool, oh, man. Hey, listeners, this is your game master, John Swan. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the first episode of Will Save. If you liked what you heard, check us out on social media at Will Save the Podcast or check out our website, willsavethepodcast.com. We'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, on wherever you listen. It helps us out and it helps bring more people to listen to and experience Starfinder. I can't wait for you to find out more about us and what the characters are capable of. So stay tuned for episode two of We'll Save.